Hi everyone, welcome to Into the Archives. While our main sermon podcast, uh, Words from the Wildwood, can be found on Sunday mornings, this is more of a retrospective, a looking back at where I have been, where I preached, what I've had the opportunity to do, and the observations I've made along the way. I hope that you can look back with me at many of these sermons that have come. Some may sound a little dated, but you might be impressed to hear things that were going on then that are still going on today. I hope you enjoy this offering from the archives. We've been talking about spiritual warfare. We've been talking about what it means to be engaged in a battle of the mind, in a battle of the heart, in a day and age in which people don't even know there's a fight going on. Now here's the thing. Spiritual warfare, even if you know you're in it, can wear you out. Have you ever been through a situation in your life where you know you should be happy? I mean, you look around you, you've got everything. You're healthy. You've got a nice house. You've got a good job that you love. You're surrounded by people that you actually like. I mean, you look at your life, you're not starving. You're not drinking out of dirty pools in some third world country. You have got huge blessings, yet there's no joy in your life. You ever been there? You ever look and go, I've got everything, but I am not happy. If that's what's happening, you're in the middle of spiritual warfare. You are under attack. And you know what? The point of Satan's attacks is to make you surrender. Satan wants you to quit, sit down, get out of the fight, be unhappy, be mopey, be complaining, be a negative black hole of joy in the circle of friends that you inhabit, and you just go suck the the joy of Jesus right out of them. If that's where you are tonight, then friends, the mistake you made is simple. You have not planned for the long haul. Whenever you go on a trip, you don't just plan to get in the car and go somewhere. You gotta plan the whole trip, amen? Planning the long haul says, you know what? I got a long way to go and a long time to get there. Here's the thing, you just don't get in and go. Life's like that. So many times we go right from being a kid to maybe college. Or if you don't go to college, you go to the military. If you don't go to the military, you go to vocational school. Anyway, you want to get out of school and you want to get on with your life. And then after that, you jump into marriage or you jump into childbearing or whatever it is you jump into. And you just keep going, but you never stop and make a plan for your whole life. As a result, you get caught off guard. Things happen to you and you're not ready for it. Tonight, I want to find a way to get around that. I want to teach you all how to plan for the long haul. Found in 2 Timothy tonight, we're going to start off by looking at verses 22 and 23. 2 Timothy 2, 22 and 23. If you want to avoid being worn out, taxed over, lost on the road of life, the first thing you have to do is this. Prepare for problems. You must prepare for problems in this life. If you don't prepare for problems, you're never going to get where you're going smoothly. Now, just as a note, even if you do plan and prepare for problems, that just means one thing. You're going to have them, but you'll be ready to deal with them when they come along. 2 Timothy 2, 22 and 23. That's where we're going to start tonight. Here's what the Word of God says, church. So, flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. Man, does that sound like anybody you know? Does that sound like any situation you've ever been in in your life? Take a look at this. Prepare for problems. That's the first thing you do to avoid getting caught up on the road of life. First one, 2 Timothy 2.22. He says, so flee youthful passions. 
Now, if you think about youthful passions, I know what all you men are thinking about. You think about them Harlequin romance novels you pine away after. You think about all them chick flicks that your girlfriends and your wives made you sit through. That's what you think of. You think of youthful passions. That's one little tiny part of it. That's the surface level of it. But there's other things going on there you need to consider if you want to flee the passions of youth. What do young people love? They love fame. They love money. Fast cars. A little too much confession here going on. All right. We pine for the things that our eyes can see and our hands can touch and our hearts can be made to desire. Look at what it says in 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 10. 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 10. What are the passions that you are to flee? I'll tell you what it says right here. 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 10. Now there is great gain in godliness with, notice the word church, contentment. There is great gain in godliness with contentment. For we brought nothing into this world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be what? Content. We will be content. But those who desire, desire youthful passions, those who desire to be rich, fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money, money ain't the problem. I always say, oh, money is the root of all evil. No, it ain't. Look what the Word of God says. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. This passage is amazing if you want to know what it means to flee youthful passions. If you want to get away from all that. Notice what's in there. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation. What's the temptation of wanting to be rich? You're going to compromise your faith. You're going to do things you shouldn't ought to do. Be places you shouldn't ought to be. They had one of them hidden camera shows. And they had two brothers just like you. And they were wannabe actors. Pretty boys that thought they was something when they wasn't nothing. And they brought him in and they said, we want you to endorse this here product. Now, can you see yourselves doing this? Endorse this product. Oh, by the way, this product burns when you put it on your skin, but don't say that. This product causes cancer in half the people that use it, but don't say that. This product, and the guy's going, this thing does what? And you want me to put my name and my face to it? 75% of people tested did it. They lied. They said it was wonderful. It made their hair smooth. They even brought in an actress and she sat there and she put a little bit in her hair and then she pulled out this fake hair and she was pulling out handfuls of hair and they go, oh my gosh, you're pulling your hair out. Those same people went on to endorse this product because they were being paid and given their chance at fame to do it. That just tells you something about people. We will compromise. We will sell our reputation, sell our name. We will sell our honor and respectability just to have our face in the camera for 15 minutes. You know, Andy Warhol said everybody gets 15 minutes of fame. People today are greedy, brother. They want a half hour of fame. They want an hour of fame. And they want to stretch it out to two hours. I mean, come on, America's got talent. How many talentless people have we got in America? A lot. And they all show up on that show. They want their 90 seconds to be in front of everybody to embarrass themselves. So at least they feel like they're something. It says those who love money are going to get into trouble. Snares, senseless, harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Because the love of money, the love of accumulating things, the love of fine clothes, the love of watches and jewelry and cars will lead you to compromise yourself, compromise your faith, compromise your morals to get what you want so that in the eyes of the world you look successful when in the eyes of God you're a sellout. 
You're a chicken. You're a coward. You have turned your back on God just to embrace something that you can't even hang on to. I love when he says, nobody brought anything into this world. I mean, my daughter was born. They pulled her out and put her in my hand. Do you know what she had on her? Blood. That was it. When you go out, that's the way you go out. With nothing. They put you in a pine box, lay you in the ground. You show up in heaven, you ain't got none of that stuff. All you got is God standing before you. He will judge you. Innocent because of Christ or guilty because you don't have them. That's the thing to remember when these youthful passions come upon you. Don't sell your immortal soul for what you can only enjoy for a few minutes. That's the whole part of it right there. Now go on to the rest of it. Go back to 2 Timothy 2.23. It says this, Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. They breed fighting. I mean, we've seen these endless controversies. Now for the Jews, the whole thing was their lineage. I am a descendant of Abraham. I am a descendant of Pharisees. Um, my father was a Pharisee. My father's father was a Pharisee. That makes me righteous. These genealogies, endless genealogies. Now I think it's fascinating that people today in America are obsessed with genealogy. They want to trace back their ancestors to wherever they came from and whoever they were and whatever they were, whatever they did. The truth is it don't matter what your mama and daddy was. It don't matter who your grandma and grandpa was. The only question you have to answer is what and who are you? Who are you sitting in this room today? Who do you represent? When someone looks at your life, don't use your mom and dad as an excuse. Don't use your grandparents as an excuse for who you are. The only excuse you've got is I didn't take responsibility for my life. And this is why I am who I am. That's the whole thing about controversies and endless meaningless discussions. Think about 2 Timothy 2, 16 and 17. Just a few verses before where we are right now. We are in 22 and 23. Go back to 16, 17 and include verse 18. It says this, Avoid irrelevant, irrelevant babbling, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. And their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them is Hemonius and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. Now right here, he zeroes in on people who bring controversy into God's house by bringing lies, by bringing false doctrine, false teaching. Why were these two guys spreading this doctrine that the resurrection had already come? Well, one, it says in other passages that they who deceive are themselves being deceived. Maybe they were making excuses for what they saw around them. But also, too, what were they doing? They were gathering to themselves people who would believe their deception. If they thought that the resurrection had already come, they're going to turn to these two jokers to find out, well, what can I do to be right with God? Suddenly, they're selling them snake oils and charms and prayer bracelets and other things to help them make up for what they say they've already missed. But all they were doing was destroying the household of faith. They were bringing controversy into the house of God. They were destroying what God had laid in those early days. You see, that's what he wants us to avoid. He wants us to avoid all the speculation. Now, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, the internet is full of speculation. There are thousands and thousands of books published by Christian publishing houses that make all kinds of outlandish assumptions. There's pastors all across America who have named the date of Jesus' return. Guess what? Every pastor who has named the date of Jesus' return have all been wrong. Every single one of them. Now, why is it not one of those guys got the date of Jesus' return right? Because Jesus said, no man knows the day and the hour of my return. Not the angels in heaven, not the Son, but God alone. If we know that, why are we listening to these morons who tell us that Jesus is going to come back on December 21st, 2012? Sound familiar, church? You got pastors in America 
And I won't name the denomination because it ain't, it ain't fair to them all. But you got pastors out there saying Jesus is going to come back December 21st, 2012. Because the Mayans just had a vision of Jesus. I'm thinking, y'all been deceived by the devil in hell. Y'all need to shut up. Because ain't nobody know when Jesus is going to come back. I think it'd be funny if the Lord came back December 22nd. I think it'd be funny if I get past the 21st. Woo, we're safe. And then, boom, church is gone. We're all, we're all history. <laughs> I think that'd be funny, but I won't be here, so it's okay. Anyways have nothing to do with these foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. If we're fighting about which version of the Bible to read, if we're fighting about whether uh, 15th century English is better than a 20th century English, or if we're fighting about is Jesus going to come back before or in the middle or at the end of the tribulation, have we got time to tell people about Jesus? No. We're so busy fighting about little fine points of doctrine, we don't get on with the purpose of letting people know that there's a Savior. That's why the controversies are bad. Not because the points aren't important, but because it keeps us from getting on with the work of sharing the gospel. So if you're going to plan for the long haul, you've got to prepare for problems. In the church, outside the church, in your family, with your children, with your spouse, with your mom and dad, you've got to plan for those problems. But also too, 2 Timothy 2, 22, if you have prepared for problems, now you need to do something else. You need to check the map. So we've already read the verses, but I want to go back to verse 22, just a small section that we didn't look at. And it says this right here, 2 Timothy 2, 22. Remember he says to avoid those, those foolish controversies? He says this, Pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Now he has just showed you what the world looks like, right? He has just showed you the world. Irrevelent babblings, uh, people who are more and more ungodly, their talk spreads like gangrene, they've swerved from the faith, they've encouraged others to go that way, they love riches, they've fallen into snares, uh, they have these cravings that pull them away and cause pains and, 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 and things in their body. That's what the world looks like because the world is not prepared for what's going on around it. But we're supposed to be like this. We're supposed to be pursuing four things. Look at them right here. Pursuing four things. First is what? Righteousness. Now what is righteousness, church? First of all, you say, well, righteousness is my position toward God in Jesus Christ. I am righteous now because of Christ. That's true. But righteousness also means right actions based on a right relationship. Now think about this. You are supposed to pursue a relationship with your wife, amen? How do you pursue a relationship with your wife, young man? You talk to them, don't you? You occasionally take her out to eat, don't you? You spend a little money on her on like Sweetheart's Day and Wife's Day and her birthday and anniversary and every other day of the week. Don't you do that? Don't you spend time and money on the one that you say you love? Let us hope so. How do we pursue a right relationship with God our Father? Well, we got to talk to Him, right? we got to be in prayer. We've got to be in the Word. We've got to see what it is that God requires. Because the Old Testament says, He has shown you, O man, what is good and what the Lord does require of you to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk how? Arrogantly with your God? Humbly with your God. A right relationship with God is when we recognize His leadership, His right to my life, His right to bring in and take out whatever He pleases. Job said, naked came I from my mother's womb, naked I will return. The Lord gives and the Lord what? Takes away. Here's the thing. Most of these fake pastors, these wannabe punks on TV, all they talk about is the Lord gives, gives, gives. They leave off the last half of that verse. The Lord takes away. The Lord takes away from us 
Four reasons. Sometimes he takes away from us what we don't need. You know why I ain't got a million dollars? I'd be an idiot. Give me too much money and I would turn stupid. I guarantee it. I'm just not built to handle that kind of money. Maybe you are. Maybe you could just inherit $20 million and you would have great supernatural wisdom to, to manage that. I would never, I'd do it all with my wife. It'd be gone. It'd be poofed in a second. That's why God don't give me a million dollars. He might give it to her, in which case it would be safe. But it's okay. It's all right. To walk rightly is to recognize God has the right to take me where I need to go, to do what I need to do to give him glory, to give him honor, to give him praise. And if he chooses to take away a job, he takes away a job. If he takes away a family member, he takes away a family member. If he takes away my health, he takes away my health. Whether I am rich and well-fed and popular or poor, broken and diseased, I will still have to praise God because he is God. And he is sovereign and he deserves it no matter what my life looks like. From the worst misery that Job was in, he could still recognize God's sovereignty. That was keeping a right relationship with God. That means you don't complain when something doesn't go your way. You just say, Lord, I don't know why it's not going the way I want, but you must have a reason, so I'm, I'm going to bow to that reason, Lord. I'm going to let you do your thing because you're God. Second, it says, not only do I pursue righteousness, I pursue faith. Now you have faith, right? I have faith in God. I have faith that his blood has cleansed me of my sin, that, that what Jesus did on the cross atoned for my sin. I have faith. I have a belief in that. But it's more than that. The word faith, the word pestuo, means to trust in, cling to, rely upon. I've told you that a dozen times. I'm going to keep telling you. Faith is not in your head. Because this is hollow. Faith is in your heart and in your hands. It is what you do based on what you believe. It is my absolute reliance upon God. If you've got a job and the boss says, you know what? You need to lie to this client and you need to make him take out this thing he don't need. And you say, I'm sorry, I can't do that. I am a Christian. I have, I have morals. I have principles. I will not lie for you. He says, if you don't lie for me, you are fired. Reliance upon God. Faith says, fine. Because God's going to take better care of me than you ever could. I am not going to compromise my walk with him just because you want me to do something. And I'm not going to be afraid. I'm going to give that job up because I don't need to be there if I'm compromising my walk with God to be there. You know what I mean? That's the truth of it. Here's the thing. Only three out of a hundred people actually have this kind of faith. Only three out of a hundred have this kind of faith. We think faith is here and we're happy as long as it's what I believe. If what I believe is okay, I must be okay. That ain't enough. That's a start. Babies start off with it here. Full grown men and women, it goes to here and it goes to my life and how I live and how I make choices. My full reliance upon God in the midst of cancer, in the midst of unemployment, in the midst of devastating uh, family conditions and losses, that's when my faith motivates me to go beyond what I can see, what I can taste and hold on to, and it moves me into that realm of, uh, of supernatural faith and hope and action. What is the third thing? I have to pursue love. This word love is the word agape. Agape means selfless giving, not receiving love. Love is not what I do so that you will like me. If I wanted you to like me, I would tell you how good looking you are. I would tell you how impressive you are. I would tell you how much I admire you. Now all those things might be true, but because I love you, I would rather give you a swift kick in the rear end because that's a lot more loving. It's a lot more loving to tell you the truth and to let you face God's word head on than it is to lie to you and tell you what you want to hear. In fact, if I lie to you, it means I don't love you. It means I hate you. I would rather not deal with you if I have to lie to you just to get your approval. Because really, at the end of the day, I don't need your approval. But I desperately have to have God's approval. I am to pursue loving relationships with you 
The word agape, self-giving, self-sacrificing. I give up my desire to have you love me so that in return you will be blessed. You will go closer to the Father. You will have more of what you need to serve the Lord and not to serve me. You may walk out of here going, I just don't like that man. I just don't like him at all. That's good. So long as you love the Lord and give 1,000% of your life to him, I can live with the rest of it. Amen? Because that's my job. My job is to help you see what God requires of you, not what I require of you. If I tell you I want you to do something, you should say, so? If I tell you the word of God says do something, you better, you better listen up. That's important. What I want ain't important. What this wants, that's important. Amen? Your life should look like this. Pursue a right relationship with God. Pursue a faith-based relationship where you do what God calls you to do with total reliance upon Him and His approval and His strength. Then you act in a loving way so as to show the love of God. And finally this, pursue peace. Now, interestingly enough, in, in Hebrew, the word peace is the what? Word shalom. You know, the peace of God. Here it's very similar. It's arane. Arane is the Greek version of this. This type of peace means a quiet rest. But it's also the word, you ready for this church? Prosperity. Peace is prosperity. Now all the prosperity gospel preachers, they keep telling you God wants you rich. God wants you to prosper. God wants you. They're lying. They're lying to you. They want your money. They want you to buy their sermon series. That's why mine's free. Tell you to take it. They want you to buy it. But God's word is free. So is the sermon. Here's the thing. Irane says, when I have a quiet rest in my soul, in the midst of cancer, in the midst of surgery, in the midst of financial collapse, in the midst of death, in the midst of disease, when I have a quiet rest, that is prosperity. That is the prosperity of my being. Because what else do I need? Do I really need a bigger TV at home? Heck no. Most of us got so many TVs, we're putting them in the bathroom now so we can watch CNN. The average American has three people in the house with seven televisions. Why do we need seven televisions? Why? I mean, seriously, how much bigger can TVs get? What are we up to now, 70 inches? With like 5,000 watts surround sound, 12 speaker things that cause the foundation to crumble in your house? Do you really need that to be happy? Or do you need to know when you lay down at night that no matter what happened to you that day, no matter what's going on in your life, no matter what's going on in your body or your mind, God is the God of your tomorrow. And no matter what happens, his finger is on the pulse of your existence. And nothing, nothing can touch you outside his grace. Nothing can touch you. He won't be there to be with you in the middle of it. That's why it says pursue righteousness, not money. Pursue faith, not fame. Produce, I mean, pursue love, not passion, not lust. Pursue peace, not financial gain and prosperity. You find a person that's got all this, Satan's got no power over them. You know why? He's got nothing to dangle in front of them like the carrot in front of the horse. Nothing to lure them with because they've already got everything they need. They got the Lord. They got a life that is fully at peace, fully at rest. Would to God that sometimes I had the wisdom to be fulfilled with this. It's wonderful. Look at the last statement and you'll know what church is supposed to be. So we're pursuing all these things. We have this Arane in our hearts. Now, along with that, pursue those who call upon the Lord from a pure heart. If your reason for coming to church is to worship the Lord alongside the brother or the sister who is worshiping the same Lord in the same spirit, then there is Arane in the church. If there is no Arane in the church, it's because the devil done got inside and throw down the tares among the wheat. Y'all understand what I'm talking about? If you ain't from the south, you don't know the difference, okay? But in the south, you can tell the difference. At first, wheat and tares look exactly the same till they growed up. 
Once they grow up, you know the difference, don't you? You know the head on wheat and the head on tares don't look the same. That's why you don't pluck it out when it's a baby. You let it grow up to see what it is. You get that person in church, you're not quite sure where they are in the Lord. Let them grow up. Because as soon as they sprout a head on them, you're going to know whether they're of your father in heaven or the father of the earth who is the devil. You will know by their life, by their spirit, by the way they handle things. That's when you pluck up and clean up. After you see the head, after you know what the spirit is, then you go through the church and you clean it up. Till then, let God do his thing. Amen? That's what it means to check the map often. Always go back to your life. Is there the Arane of God? Is there peace? Are you pursuing righteousness and love? Are you pursuing that faith relationship where you want God to put you out there? You want God to put you in a situation that you can't handle because you want Him to move through you to do it. That's when your life's on course. That's when you've got it made. At that point right there. There's a third thing though. Right here. 2 Timothy 2, 24-26. Okay, so you, you plan for the problems. You know Satan's going to lay landmines for you. You know Satan's going to give you some issues out there. So don't get caught up in that mess. Check your map. Keep walking according to God's path. And finally this, keep to the right course. Once you know where you're going, keep on course. Keep on trucking right on down the road. Here it comes. 1 Timothy 2, 24-26. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Okay, here's the thing. Look at these three things. These three verses right here are a sermon all on their own. Look at verse 24. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil. Okay? How do you know you're on the right course? You have the right attitude. You have the right attitude toward the job. There's a lot of people that will be good at a lot of jobs except for one thing. Got a bad attitude. There are some jobs you just have to have the right attitude to be able to do it. And that goes for being in the pulpit. There's some people as mean as a junkyard dog, but they got no love in them. They don't belong in the pulpit. You got other people as nice as the day is long, but they got no guts. They don't belong in the pulpit neither. Sometimes I wonder which one I am. <laughs> some days I don't know which one I am, but I keep praying that God keeps using me. Amen. Amen. Wherever you are, whatever situation you're in, whether you're a deacon, whether you are a home cell leader, you are a Sunday school teacher, you work with the Wanas, you work with people outside, ask yourself, is my attitude right? Am I the Lord's servant? Now this is written to pastors, but I want you to take a good look at it for you, for you and your life for where you're at. Are you quarrelsome? Can you be kind, sympathetic, merciful to others? Are you able to teach the Word of God? Are you patiently enduring what's going on around you? Now here's the thing. You not only have to have the right attitude, but, verse 25, you must have the right actions to go with the right attitude. Now this is going to be the balance. You see, if you take verse 24 by itself, you know what you got? A first-class piece of fluff. If this is all you got, You've got a beautiful structure with no skeleton, no backbone, no strength. But now verse 25 is it. So now you're this person, right? You are not quarrelsome, you're kind, you're able to teach, patient, but you are correcting his opponents with gentleness. Correcting is important. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. I want you to put this alongside of Titus 1.9. Titus 1.9, write it down, look it up, don't trust me. 
he, meaning the pastor, must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, word of God, the Bible, unaltered, unchanged, undictated, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. If you ever wondered why I am the way I am, sweetheart, look at Titus 1.9 and you will see why I am the way I am. This to me is the mandate of the pastor. I must hold firm to the trustworthy word. If you are a parent, if you are a grandparent, if you are a deacon, if you are a teacher, you need to take this to heart because God's going to hold you to this, my friends. He will hold you to this. You must hold firm to the word. Don't compromise. Don't change it. Don't ignore things you don't like. Don't look past things that hurt you, wound you, make you go outside your comfort zone. Being a Christian is about living outside the comfort zone. Praise God. I would hate to have the marshmallow existence that most people I know leave. I just go, why do you get up in the morning? What is your motivation to live when you neither stand for anything nor stick up for anything? I just, I don't understand that. So you hold firm to the word so that you may be able to give instruction and in sound doctrine. Because why? Where does sound doctrine come from? From the word and from the word alone. And also to rebuke those who contradict it. The point of rebuking is restoring to the right path. You don't sass someone down just for the sake of proving you're smart. You sass someone down so God can build them back up. You knock them off their high horse just the way we knocked old Balaam off his horse so he don't get his head chopped off by the angel with the sword. Y'all remember that story, right? Right along, when listening to the donkey. And he had knocked off there. If he hadn't gotten knocked off, what would happen to his head? <laughs> That's right. So God sometimes got to knock you down to save your life. This is the balance. You must be not quarrelsome. You must be kind. You must be patient. But you must stand firm, not compromise, sound to give instruction, and you must rebuke those who are wrong. If you want to know why I've done everything I've done for the last nine months, baby, this is your answer right here. Take it, write it down, put it on my gravestone. If I don't live long enough to do it myself. Okay, let's go back to it now. So we have the right attitude, gentleness, correction, hoping to see someone restored. Then we have the right action. We stand firm. We don't compromise when somebody else compromises. When somebody else won't stand up, we stand up. We take the stand. Finally this, verse 26. What is our hope? That they may escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. If somebody is caught in the devil's trap, the trap of compromise, the trap of I don't have a spine, the trap of I can't speak up, I don't know the Bible well enough, I'm not a pastor, it's not my job, baby, it's your job to stand up for the word of God. If you are a believer born again by the cross of Christ, it is your job to stand up for his word. I gotta get an amen from somebody on that one. Amen. That's your job. My job is to kick you till you do your job. That's my job. Kind of like being in football, but not as much fun. Anyways, here's the point. You have the right attitude. You have the right actions. And that leads to the right outcome. The outcome is the repentance and the restoration of those who are in error. If somebody's in error, they need to repent so they can be restored. The end goal is always restoration. But without repentance, restoration is impossible. If I am wrong, please, somebody find in the Word of God where it says there's a list of sins that God doesn't care about. Please, someone find it for me. Because someone apparently thinks that there's an exception to the Word of God somewhere. If you can find it, would you please tell me? Because I can't find it. I've only been looking for 30 years. I just can't find that exception. I'd love to find it. Then I'd be accepted. But you know what I mean? 
Here we go. So, are you ready to go? Are you ready to get out of here today and go on that journey and chase down that thing God's put before you? One, make your four motivations in life. You've got to have righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Then you will win the spiritual war if your focus is on these things. If your focus is on a right relationship with God, a, a faith walk that says, I am willing to go, Lord, wherever you take me, do whatever you ask me, stand against my boss, stand against my co-workers, stand against the very doors of hell itself, and knock them down by the power of God, then, Lord, let my faith be strong enough that I can walk out there and do it. If that's what you're pursuing in life, you will not fall into 90% of the problems that assail the church. 90% of the problems of the church is we don't want to make waves. We don't want to be seen. We don't want to be heard. We don't want to have to suffer for doing the right thing. That's the problem with the church today. Do we love? Do we love enough to tell someone what's going on? Do we love somebody enough to stand by them when they're hurt? Do we love somebody enough to be in that battle? Because when people are hurt, it takes a long time to get them healed up. Amen. You got to be in it for the long haul. In it with them for a long time. When a person gets born in the kingdom, they don't change overnight, do the time. Sometimes it takes years to see fruit come out of a person that just gets saved. Some of y'all get the same witness I got. You know, we got saved a little bit later in life. We had a whole lot more to get healed up from. A whole lot of internal mental scars. A whole lot of things that we had done we shouldn't have done. Things we saw that we never should have seen. It takes, a, it takes kind of a long time to heal that up. But you know what? Just like a church had to come alongside me, put up with me, and I was, I was no gem when I got saved. Oh, Lord, I'm surprised the church didn't throw me out. <laughs> it took a long time for Jesus to get me straightened out. But they stayed with me. That's love. It cost them their comfort level to stay with me until God did in my life what he needed to do. And now, praise God, I am who I am because those people didn't give up on me. They wanted to see repentance. They wanted to see me get straight. But I had to deal with what I had done and come to the place where God could use me finally. And that takes a long time, people. It takes a lifetime to do that. You see, if you want to win the spiritual war, that, that control of your life, you have got, got, got to keep your life focused on the four main issues. The last being, of course, the Arani of God, that, that, that peace that abides, that stays in us, that, that lets me say, you know what? Whatever I've got, whatever I own, it's enough because God's in the middle of it. He's the provider of it. He gives me everything I need. All right, let's pray and we'll get out of here tonight. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in today to listening to our programs. We appreciate your attention. We present this for you as a way of building up God's people, giving you hope in these dark days. They are presented to you commercial-free. We don't solicit money from any companies, Bible organizations, or churches. We put it out there because we believe wholeheartedly that the Word of God is the only hope this country or any country could have. Because we present it to you commercial-free, we do ask you to search your heart. If you feel the need to support us in any way, it, it, could, be a, it could be a love offering, a gift, send me enough for a cup of coffee. I'd really appreciate it. You can send all support to Richard Stidham, S-T-I-D-H-A-M, Richard Stidham at Box 1321. Baytown, Texas, 77521, and everything you send to us will be used to keep this podcast on the air. Have a great day. God bless, and remember, keep looking up. Our salvation is drawing near.